Welcome to What the Wealth, a financial planning and investment podcast for professionals and families to help you navigate life's financial transitions. Jonathan's mission is to facilitate the ability for you to plan for and create the life you love, free from anxiety about money. And now, here's your host, certified financial planner, Jonathan Bedner. All right, welcome to What the Wealth. This is episode six. And today we have Ryan Dietrich, who is a senior market strategist with LPL on with us. This show is going to be a little bit different. You know, we were originally planning to talk this month about tax filing and IRAs and Roth contributions, and HSAs. There's some more financial planning topics as we're kind of building out what we've talked about the last couple of months and what I've called the command center and making sure that you have your financial life organized and prioritized and in order. With current market events around COVID-19 or also known as coronavirus, I thought it was good to bring Ryan on now and we'll kick those topics down probably to, to May. So with that, again, Ryan Dietrich, Senior Market Strategist with LPL, is on the line. Thanks for joining us. Can you maybe give us a little background on you and what you do at LPL? Hey, Jonathan. Absolutely. First off, I'm a big fan. I know, you know we, we've hung out before, and I'm really proud of you for what you're doing with this podcast and how you're helping your clients. And I'm honored that I'm a little upset I'm number six, honestly. I mean, I don't know why I wasn't the number one or two, but that's, that, you know, I'll, I'll, that's all right. I'll, I'll forgive you. But yeah, you're right. I mean, <laughs> we'll get into the market stuff, and there's a lot to talk about. But I'm a senior market strategist here with LPL Financial. I've been with LPL just over four years now. And my role, I get to go on TV, I present for clients, I'm a big voice on a lot of the models we run, I write a lot of the commentaries and big market views, big macro views, that's what we're going to talk really about, I think, you know, the rest of this podcast is kind of how we see the world, where we see the world going. And what kind of makes me, I think, a little different than other strategists is I like to really look back at history. One of my favorite quotes is Churchill. He says, you know, the further back in history we look, the further into the future we can see. I mean, things always do repeat. Now, (laughs) global pandemics like this, we can get into that. They don't necessarily always repeat. But we have seen, you know, fear and greed are what drive markets. I know buying and selling and supply and demand, but fear and greed really are what drive markets. And to keep this real high level, you know, late January, we were seeing a lot of greed. People were excited. Bull markets up 30% the year before. Everything was great. Now, 34% correction at the lows that we had last week and, and a lot of fear now. So it's just really unique at how markets work. And that's the one constant that we're going to see throughout humanity is fear and greed. I agree. And, and I think you and I look at one of these same indexes, the CNN Fear and Greed Index. And yep. it's amazing how fast that pendulum can swing. So in mid-February, everything is fine, hunky-dory, economy good, one of the lowest unemployment numbers mm-hmm. in the last 50 years. And, and at that time, coronavirus was around, but it was probably obviously not being taken as seriously as it should. Fast forward, you know, 30 days, and it is very fearful. I think when I saw that CNN Fear and Greed Index, I think I saw it go, go to a one or a two maybe. I don't remember exactly where I saw it so loud, but you're right. I think fear and greed drive a lot of emotions. So maybe just give us kind of an overall picture of where you think we stand as the economy right now. No, I want to touch on, you know, jobless number right. that came out yesterday. Well, the bottom line, bottom line is we're in a recession. 
Okay, I mean that's that's the that's the truth. When you see 3.3 million initial claims, and that number is going to go a lot higher. I mean, there's a lot of states that couldn't even do it all by the time you know people listen to this podcast, and and a week or two from now, those claims might be a lot higher. Now, here's the good news: you think about a hospital. If a patient's in better shape going into the hospital before they get sick, the odds of them being healthy at the end are much better. The U.S. economy truly was bottom, had bottomed in the fourth quarter after some weakness. We'd seen some really solid numbers in the in the early part of the first quarter. Now, Burt White, our chief investment officer, says there's a couple ways you can stop a car. You can slam on the brakes, you can gently stop, or you can hit a tree. Well, we hit a tree. That this was totally obviously unseen. It's the black swan event that so many people talk about. I mean, just I'll keep this high level, but the S&P 500 went from an all-time high to down 20%. We think it's, it's such a violent drop, you know, that first half of the V. Things can be contained, and with all the fiscal stimulus and monetary policy, we can get into all that stuff. That is there, okay, for a potential explosive third quarter and even better fourth quarter. And don't forget, you look back at market history from the Civil War to World War One, World War Two, Korean War, as devastating as wars are, and they, they truly are with the loss of life and humanity, we've always come out the other side, and there's always been more growth on the other side. Now, you know, I, know, I don't want to call this a war, but it almost feels like we are at a war. Global, you know, we're all on the same team. Everyone around the world's on the same team. So we really do think we are going to come out of this and be that much stronger and better. And, you know, is the bull market over? Maybe the 11-year bull market's over, and we just had a 34% correction. Maybe we just take some time here to digest it. But boy, oh boy, Jonathan, two or three years from now, we're all going to remember when we all stayed inside for a month. And let's hope investors didn't panic. They use it as an opportunity for their longer-term strategies. And this might be a really good buying opportunity when all said and done. Yeah, I wonder how much pent-up demand there actually will be. And that's what I think. The last several years, we've had these, yep. and, and, and even in the end of 2018, technically it wasn't a bear market. Right. You know, we closed down 19.8% or whatever. Who's kidding who? Let's call it a bear, a spade a spade. It was a bear market, at least in my opinion. Now, we didn't go into recession then, but it was, it was a bear market. We had a, a very drastic V-shaped recovery into 2019 after it bottomed in December. And... I wonder if we're going to have, I think this will take longer than, than the recovery will take longer than that. But I wonder if, if being home for 30 days, or 45 days, you know, some of these cities and counties across the country, they started having these stay at home orders. And even some mm-hmm. of them were orders, they were just very strong suggestions, suggestions <laughs> that happened back, you know, I guess probably in, in earlier in May. I mean, some of those communities could be going on 45 or even 60 days. So I guess there could be a lot of pent-up demand when we're allowed to go back outside again. I totally agree. I've said it like this. I think this July 4th, assuming that things have calmed down and we're back to normal, we're going to really appreciate just the simple things. I mean, you know, opening day. Right. Was just the other day. It was or excuse me, was supposed to be the other day. And just, you know, the simple thing to go to a baseball game and get a beer and eat, eat, eat a hot dog and throw some peanuts on the ground and kind of yell at the umpire. I mean, 
we all, myself included, really took that for granted. So I think when we're on the other side of it, and who, how many vacations? You know, I mean, spring break in two weeks, technically. My kids are on, and you know, we're all kids are working from home, or I'm sorry, learning from home. But we canceled all. Are we supposed to go to Colorado? We canceled it because everybody else is canceling it. Believe me, there are going to be some really fun, hopefully, maybe even expensive, get that economy going again, trips this summer. And it, I just think this summer could be a really appreciative time. Be aware of how lucky we had, we are. And when the good times are taken away, we're going to remember it. And the economy, again, we really do think can bounce back with some of the things the Fed is doing and the fiscal stimulus plan that literally before we started recording this looks like it's on President Trump's desk to be signed. Quickly on the comment about taking for granted, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think there's going to be a major reset for America. If you just kind of just think about again, what's important in their lives and some of those things that you, like you said, we just take take for granted of and, and refocus on family and just doing some of those things out together. So I, th- I think that that may be a major plus out of this entire pandemic, if there really is one. Yeah, you're you're right there. And you know, one thing that we've heard is, okay, let's say uh, this is not our base case, but I've seen some economists are saying, Jonathan, in the in the second quarter, GDP is going to be on twenty five percent. Okay, that's historic. We've never seen that. But when you stop a whole economy, that might not be as crazy as it sounds. Now, it can come back. But the big thing we're hearing is, okay, if we go into a recession, could we go into a Great Depression? Because we've never really seen a recession just stop like this. And I would just keep this high level, but I would say, well, first off, let's hope not. But secondly, after the Great Depression, what did the Fed do? They tightened. What did the government do? They increased taxes and decreased spending by 25%. Oh, by the way, there was also a global trade war. You compare it to some of those things going on now where the Fed has opened the spigots. The Fed has said unlimited buying of bonds. Okay, They're trying to increase that. Clearly, the Fed cut rates. The government's not increasing taxes. You know, We're getting money. People are going to get, start getting checks in the mail here in a couple of weeks. Now, there is the trade dispute with China still going on, but that's taken a back seat, but we really think it's such a drastically different uh, approach to what uh, the government's doing now that then really made the Great Depression last, you know, nearly 10 years. I think about 2008, just for a second, I'll kick it back to you. In 2008, we didn't know what the problem was. That's the honest truth. For several months, all we knew was the stock market was going down. Then you hear about these rich Wall Street bankers are starting to lose their jobs at some of these places that have been around for 200 years, and you're like, hmm. That's kind of weird. Eventually, it got to Main Street and the stock market dropped 50%. This one started on Main Street, right? I mean, that's where it started, clearly. And the fact that, you know, people understand that and the fact we're getting this fiscal $2 trillion, about 9% of GDP uh, fiscal plan in play to try to help those that are immediately impacted that have lost their jobs are are really some positive things. There's a lot of negatives to what's going on. I mean, there's no question people losing their lives and losing their jobs and losing, losing their livelihoods. I mean, this thing. Some guy opened up a restaurant last month and put all his whole life savings into it. Now no one can come. I mean, that's devastating. But the government is trying to do what it can to bring back confidence and the Fed's doing what it can to bring back liquidity and confidence to credit markets. And it's, it's a rocky situation. But again, there's a lot of kindling the second half of this year for that economy to come back. In 2008, I think it took the Fed eight months to act, after, you know, with part, which is right. Uh, Talk to the asset relief program that, that the Fed announced uh, back then, and I think it was eight months after Lehman, so it took a long time exactly. to get to get money back into the system and try to stabilize the economy. And what you saw this time was, you know, I think the the comment I've seen float around is the Fed bazooka, and I don't know if you came up yep. with that or someone else came up with that, but I mean, essentially, just right out of the gate, started just laying out 
quantitative easing and stimulus packages and took a little while to get to stimulus to get voted on approved and there were some things back and forth but it looks like today as as of us recording this on the 27th of march they did just pass that so that's good now we can start you know working some of that into the system so let's talk about yesterday there was 3.3 million job you know initial jobless claims my personal opinion is next week we're going to see another astronomically high number again. Yep. I just don't know how you can't when when everybody is being told either shelter in place, an official mandate, or very strongly encouraged. And I just think that it's going to have a major impact. It looks like in the 1980s, the previous high was like 659,000 or 650,000 initial jobless claims. So to get 3 million plus yesterday, was almost five times that limit. And I don't want to go on record about making a projection, but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see another 3 million next week. I think you're seeing, yeah. you know, right now, potentially businesses are trying to hang on as much as they can and trying to stay afloat. And I think, you know, there's a lot of risk of seeing another big number next week. Well, I'm with you. I mean, compliance does not like us to make guarantees, but I think we can say with about as near certainty as humanly possible without making a guarantee, there's going to be a bigger surge next week. I mean, again, I, I read some of the numbers, about 200,000 people applied uh, for unemployment in California. It's supposed to be closer to a million, okay? So because they're having some systems literally shutting down so people can't do it in time. So those numbers are going to be huge. You know, one of the highest unemployment numbers we've ever seen was high single digits after, you know, World War II or so. The reality is we could have something like that in a very, very short time frame. You know, we looked at some of the previous largest weekly surges. Again, this was the record. It blew away every possible record. But the majority of the largest weekly initial claim surges took place during natural disasters. Okay. I mean, not, not financial crisis, not recession. It was a boom, one-off event that, that kind of hit and then went away. And I thought how we view this. This is unfortunately going to stick around for a while. And, and you know, it, it's one of those data points. We released, Jonathan, two weeks ago what we called our Road to Recovery Playbook. Simply put, it's five things LPL Research is looking for, for a sign that it's getting better to dip your toe in, potentially and add some equity exposure. And one of the things we were looking for was, you know, are we in a recession and how bad is it going to be? Two weeks ago, honestly, if I were on with you, I probably would have said it's 50-50 we're having a recession. Then everything just keeps shutting down. That domino keeps going. Now it's very clear we're in a recession and it's a bad one. What happened on Thursday when we saw the worst initial claims numbers ever? We saw the United States had more COVID-19 deaths in China. What happened? The stock market soared 6%. I mean, you know, so much bad stuff is priced in. And when everyone gets on one side of the boat, that's when you get those other side moves from a market sentiment point of view. And we're not like celebrating these this terrible news, but we are saying from an investment point of view, the, nearly the end of the world being priced in here. And if we can avoid that and just get bad news, what's the market hate? Uncertainty. Now we've got certainty. It's, we're in a recession and it's bad, but the market almost, the market bounced on that news, not bounced, soared on that news. You know I mean? Dow up to over 20% in three days. That's a P up 17.5% in three days. You give back a little bit. That's 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 normal. But it's it's truly amazing at how the market reacted that way. Because I don't think anyone in their right mind would have said S&P up 6% if you tell me 3.3 million people go for unemployment. But that's what happened. So where do you think we go from here? Where, you know, I know we can't make guarantees and it's, you know, tough to predict the future. And if we all had a crystal ball, we'd pick the right six numbers on the lottery and we would know exactly what to do. Where does LPL think we go from here? Yeah, I mean, 
Our base case from right here, right now, we do think stocks are going to outperform bonds, and we really think we're in the process of forming a bottom. Now, I want to put it like this. We've taken a look at previous market bottoms. Let's look at 1987, for instance. The stock market crashes in October of 87. Have a decent little bounce. Then you go back down and make new lows in December of 87. You think back to the financial, well, uh, 2002, 2003, major low in October 2002. Break those lows in March 2003 by a little bit, then go back up. Same thing, financial crisis, pretty big low in October 08. And then you did break by a decent amount those lows in March 2009 and then soared higher. What was the one constant we saw every one of those times? The majority of stocks bottomed on that initial surge. Then you have a little bounce and you go back down and retest those lows, but less stocks are making 52-week lows. So there's actually a better underlying pinning to that. So we wouldn't be shocked at all if this bounce kept going a little bit, but maybe sometime next couple months, we'd go back down, test the recent lows, maybe break them, really get people scared. And if there's less stocks being at 52-week lows, then that could be a really good opportunity. But how are we positioning our models? What are we doing? I mean, we are, we are actively talking about adding risk. We're also rebalancing. Bottom line, people don't have as much equity exposure relative to bonds as they did, you know, gee, a month ago, two months ago. So we think it's just a good time for a lot of people just to simply rebalance their portfolios to get things in alignment. And what's going to lead us? I mean, we still like technology. We still like healthcare. You know, I don't want to get too geeky, but something called a relative strength line looks at how something's doing relative to something else. Well, relative to the S&P 500, technology is still making new highs. That's relative to the S&P. Healthcare also. Those are two groups that, that really look pretty strong to us and two groups we, um, we like now and going forward. One of the concerns I think you talked about rebalancing and, and that's shifting some of the asset money away from bonds and back into stocks and stocks are sold off. Where does OPL, what do you think about credits and the credit markets? I think there's a lot of concern about some of these companies going bankrupt and, you know, the, the amount of debt that they've gotten on the books from these low, you know, low interest rates over the last 10 plus years. And especially maybe in the oil industry, that could be very dangerous for these. Oh, for a lot of yeah, these I mean, Absolutely. I mean, the energy group in general is one group that we haven't, yeah, the 11 S&P 500 sectors, we haven't been too warm and fuzzy on that group. And you look at just what's happened with oil and the price war that's going on with uh, with China and Russia. So that's a group we definitely have been a little more avoiding. But you talk about credit markets. I mean, the smartest guys in the room are the credit markets, right? If you look at what high yield spreads are doing, investment grade corporate spreads, they're pricing in a recession. But if you look at non-financial spreads on something like, say, commercial paper, that's nowhere near where it was in 2008. So again, the, what we are saying this is, is not a financial crisis. This is a business crisis. And that's a lot different in 2008. Not to say it can't change, but that's kind of where we are right now. And you mentioned, you know, you're kind of hinting at it, you know, like the bailouts, right? Look at who got the bailouts in 2009, right? I mean, so the auto companies and some of the big banks. Who were the groups that did not participate, for the most part, in this 10-year rally, nearly as much as everybody else? The companies that were, that got the bailout. So that's just something to be aware of right now with who might be involved in, in the government help that's coming. You know, what Mark Twain say, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Maybe those could be some of the areas that you don't want to go into. Because, again, financials have not done very well relative to the last 10 years. when they were definitely the ones that got the benefit from the government back in 2008, 2009. We got a few minutes left. I think we, we touched briefly that the House has just now passed. So I guess we're waiting on President Trump to actually sign this new stimulus bill. How do you think that that really impacts businesses and companies, individuals around the country? I know it's good to, to get a short infusion of, of cash into, into people's hands immediately, especially while they're being laid off. 
And I think that's really good if we only have a 30-day shutdown. You know, if we go 60 or 90 days, and I don't know that we will or won't, and I don't know that anyone can really predict that. But I know the the, the federal government's doing a lot to really back this economy. You know, Jerome Powell has cut rates to zero again, started buying assets, mortgage-backed securities. They're even buying corporate debt now that is, is unprecedented. So that kind of helps credit markets that we just talked about, make sure that there's a, a market there so there's some liquidity. What, what's your thoughts on the stimulus and how, how that will impact you know, the current situation? Sure. Well, in the near term, it's a positive, right? I mean, like you said, I mean, that's almost 9.3% of GDP. We've never seen a fiscal stimulus plan like this. I mean, this is you know a fiscal plan on steroids. And then you mentioned the Fed. I mean, the Fed is buying all different types of assets anymore, from mortgage backs to corporate bonds. They're doing some more with municipal bonds. They're trying to back money markets. The Fed is doing some things. They dusted off their playbook from 08, and they even brought a few new tricks up their sleeve. Because everyone said when they cut rates a couple weeks ago to zero, oh, the Fed's out of bullets. Well, we've learned one thing. The Fed's not out of bullets. And uh, Jerome Powell was on, I think it was Good Morning America on Wednesday or Thursday this week. And he said, you know, we're not out of bullets. We've still got some more things that we potentially can do. Now, the flip side of all this, if this goes, uh, you know, say another three months, could we have to do this again? You know, maybe we would. Well, really, though, if we look at our road to recovery playbook, one of the most important things we think is a peak in the number of new cases in COVID-19 in the United States. We're nowhere near that as we speak. It continues to soar every day. But if you look at modeling from other countries, we're potentially within two weeks from that happening. And if we can get some type of a peak and it can can, start to drop that could be what people need more than anything. And you see the thing that more and more ventilators are being made, more and more test kits are coming. Was the United States behind a little bit? Listen, probably, you know, but we're doing all we can to get caught up on that. And, and that just can bring back some confidence as well. And you look at other countries. I mean, you know, China's come back pretty quickly from this. The Chinese stock markets are only down a couple percent for the year. OK, and they're, they're coming back online and starting to show not growth, but they're coming back off those really low numbers. So if the United States can follow that trend I mean, Italy this week, it looks like cases have peaked in Italy. They've been going down several days in a row. So that can change. But, you know, if we follow those models, we're a couple weeks away. And once that happens, at the end of the day, what's everybody watching? You know, everyone's got the same screen with the red where all the cases are and the tragic, tragic deaths. When that starts to calm down, that'll bring back confidence. But what the Fed is doing and the fiscal and the fiscal plan, those also bring back confidence and liquidity, which are a, a bullish combination, potentially the second half of this year when we can get through this. The three things that I'm watching are, and you just talked, were new cases starting to flatline, stabilize and come down. And, you know, new cases and deaths. Schools opening back up. And the business is opening back up. I think until those three things happen, you know, I think that we're still in a high volatility market where this market's going to swing both up and down. And it's easy, like we saw earlier this week, you know, you have three or four good days in a row. And it's easy to get sucked back into, you know, maybe this is the new bull market. I saw that you, you posted that on Twitter and I, I think it was a joke, but there are probably people that actually really believe that. And, and who knows? Maybe it could be. There's no way to really know that. So we're three, five, 10, 15 years down the road. Exactly. And that was, I mean, yesterday, the Wall Street Journal had a headline that says new bull market. And that's because the S&P, I'm sorry, because the Dow gained 20% in just three days. And and I, I did a quick little video stressing, no, <laughs> you know, may, maybe, but don't believe it's a new bull market. This is historically volatile. I mean, when we're getting swings 20% in three days, that's not normal. 
volatility is not what you see in bull markets. And we want to really stress that. Now, is it a time for a longer term investor to start to add, hey, we just corrected 34%. Okay. I mean, that's the average bear markets are right around the mid 30s. So that, that makes sense from a longer term point of view. Even in recessions, you see a 37% correction. So it made sense to us to maybe start dipping our toe in. But when you see headlines like this is a new bull market, that can be very confusing for investors because just three, four days ago, they heard I were in this horrific bear market. And that's just the media has a job to get you to click on it and listen to it, but you have to be aware. You know, that's why that's why you, you know, people go to people like you, Jonathan. They need the experts to help kind of clear away what's really happening. And, you know, seeing the seeing the word bull market just kind of irked me a little bit because it, it, it sure doesn't feel like a bull market. And I think that's the wrong thing to tell investors. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. It's been a it's been great. And I, I think it's helpful for clients to be able to hear. You know, another perspective from LPL, not just us and our team and what we think, but someone else that, you know, is, is maybe a voice of reason as well. So I really appreciate you coming on. I don't have anything else in closing. Is there anything else that you, you have in closing? Yeah, I mean, I just want to, want to thank you one more time for all that you're doing for your clients and, and doing this podcast. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that you're having the success you're having with it. And I wanted to make a little little comment the, the time we hung out we had two desserts and i can't wait to see you again i think we're going to set the record maybe have four desserts to celebrate and help that economy next time we hang out man i can't wait <laughs> absolutely that is definitely the plan so we'll get you on again maybe in a couple of months and and talk through again state of the economy at that time where we are and, and you know what it looks like going forward and maybe try to get you on to be a regular guest no i hey i'm a one phone call away i'd love to do it so thank you Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on What the Wealth. For more information, get in touch with Jonathan at whatthewealth.com. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any information that can help you create the life you love. of this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Paradigm Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax advisor.